nothing can separate.
Father. You father the orphan. Your kindness makes us whole. You shoulder our weakness. And your strength becomes our own. You're making me like you. Clothing me in life. In beauty from ashes. For you will have your praise praises to you ever be on our lips because of your great love for us
So, you all up here, all right? Okay, I have a book right here. Um, I don't know if many of you know what this is. I don't know if many of you have seen it before. Uh, but what is this? It's a Bible? No, it's not a Bible. This is a good guess. What? Songs? Yeah. It's called a hymnal. It's called a hymnal. And inside this book are lots and lots of songs written by lots and lots of people. Okay, um, but there are some people who wrote more songs than others. Um, I want you all to uh, close your eyes with me right now. Okay, everybody close your eyes. Moms and dads too. Everybody close your eyes. All right. Now, what do you see? Nothing, right? <laughs> Keep your eyes closed. Now, keep looking. What do you see? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Now, I want you to imagine, like, you have to do your homework, okay? And your teacher tells you you have to read a book. Now, can you read that book? Keep your eyes closed. Can you read the book? No, you can't read the book. I can't either. Now, your teacher says, I want you to write a story for me. You got to go look for some paper. Can you see the paper? No. Okay. Somebody's cheating if they can see the paper, right? Now, can you? Now you need a pen. Keep your eyes closed. Can you find the pen? No. But okay. So somebody helps you, and they give you the paper, and they give you the pen, and they say, "I want you to write a poem. I want you to write a song." Can you do that? No. 
You can't. Okay, I want you to open your eyes now. All right? I want you to know about a lady who was blind like that. She couldn't see, but she wrote over 8,000 hymns, over 8,000 poems, over 8,000 songs. And her name is Fanny Crosby. Fanny Crosby. And she wrote so many songs. You see a picture of her there. And the reason why she has dark glasses on is a lot of people who are blind wear that. And so that's why she couldn't see. And yet, God used her to write 8,000 hymns, 8,000 songs. This was a woman who knew how to never give up. She's a woman who could be what we call persevering. She was brave, and she was patient, and she was strong. There's a Bible verse I want us to read together. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Okay, let's everybody read it together, and kids look up on the screen, and let's read it. It says, be joyful because you have hope. Be patient when trouble comes, and pray at all times. And Fanny Crosby was all these things. She was joyful. She wrote really happy songs. She was hopeful. She believed she was going to see Jesus someday. She was patient. She was persevering. She never gave up. And she prayed all the time. And it's amazing. Just She wrote so many wonderful hymns. And one of the hymns that um, your parents might know, that we all might sing, is called, To God Be the Glory. Can you say those words with me? To God Be the Glory. Okay, so here's um, the beginning, one of the first stanza of the song. Let's all read it together, okay? Moms and dads and kids. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son, who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. This is a wonderful song. This is how many of you know the song? Moms and dads, okay, most of us know the song, all right? And yeah, it talks about God's love. There's one big word up there, though, that you may not know, kids. It's the word atonement. Does anybody know what atonement means? No, no, I didn't think so, you know. It's a hard word, but it's an important word. Now, if we look at the next slide, look at what atonement is. It looks like at-one-ment, at-one-ment. And that really helps us to understand what it means, because it means that it's through God's grace and forgiveness, God's love and his forgiveness, that we are given a relationship, so we're brought at-one with him. We have a relationship with God. We have a relationship with God even though we have sinned. And that God loves us. And that's what atonement is. It's God's forgiveness to us. And so Fanny Crosby understood this and she was so excited. She would praise God. And in her song, To God Be the Glory, the chorus goes like this. And so we have it up there. Can you read it with me? Let's say it together, moms and dads too. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Now, she was a woman. She, even though she couldn't see, even though she was blind almost all of her life, she loved God. She praised God, and she wanted to give God the glory. And so she wrote this beautiful song, To God Be the Glory, and we're going to sing it together now. Okay, we're just going to sing the first, uh, chorus, the first verse and then the chorus. And so those of you who know it, sing nice and loud, okay? Um, and I am not a singer, all right? But I, I'm very um, willing here to embarrass myself so that we can give God the glory, okay? All right, so here's the song. Let's all stand together. All right, kids, stand up. We should praise God when we're standing and stand up when we praise God. Okay, so those of you who know it, let's sing it together. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. 
who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father through Jesus the Son and give him the glory, great things he has done. Amen. Great job. Let's give God a hand. <laughs> Woo! All right. Parents, you can sit down. And kids, you can be dismissed. We're going to start with the youngest ones first. If you, bring, if you bring your kids to Pastor Curtis, he will teach them SAT words. <laughs> All right, so if I can ask you to stand up again and greet your neighbors. All right, next let me ask you to tear out the welcome card from your bulletin and grab a pen and start filling it out. So whether you're visiting with us or been here for the umpteenth time, we would like to know uh, your prayer requests and your interests. So please fill out both the front and the back. And next, let me ask you to take a look at the announcements. And we have a special announcement about the men's uh, barbecue. So let me ask uh, Eric and Glenn to come up. Good morning. So next Sunday after church, uh, there's going to be a men's barbecue. It's going to kick off a new season of uh, men's small groups. So if you're interested, we'd love to have you come out. Uh, we'll have uh, lunch provided. We'll have um, uh, volleyball and basketball uh, for those interested. So it'll be a good time of fun, uh, food, and fellowship. So it'll be about, uh, say what, 12, 1230-ish, uh, and the information's in the, the bulletin as to uh, where the, the park will be hanging out at, and uh, I think that's it. Yep, and I uh, just wanted to reiterate, so it's open to all guys, 18 and older, uh, and what you'll do is, while we're having fun and just getting to know each other, uh, you'll also hear a little bit more about men's ministry. So you, if you haven't been involved, uh, you can hear a little bit more about it where essentially we get together with other guys. We usually do really small groups, like you paired up with one other person or two other people, and it's a great opportunity to get accountability, support, and maybe mentoring if that's what you're seeking. So learn, come out next week and learn more about that. Okay, thank you. All right, the other thing that's going to be happening at about the same time uh, next Sunday, March 13th, will be the Members Information class, and that's going to start right after service, uh, so about 11.45. So for those of you who might be sort of debating about whether to go to the membership class or the, the men's barbecue, let me just tell you now, the membership class is more important than the men's barbecue, okay? All right. Oh, also, that's right, Curtis reminds me, there will be food also at the, the membership class. All right, the uh, 2016 church directories are here, so if you haven't picked it up yet from Brian Wong, please see him uh, after service. Also, I don't know if you knew, because I didn't know until this morning, that we've had a senior Bible study going on for the last nine months already, and they are actually been growing and going to be expanding so they used to just meet once a month, but now they're going to be meeting both the first and the third Thursday. So for those of you who might know people who'd be interested, um, you know, please let them know. And also please uh, pray for the Bible study group. The senior Bible study, the next one is actually going to be the first Thursday of April. And then they'll be beginning the second one in the month on the third Thursday. 
Thursday of April as well. So not March 17th. Okay. Thank you. And uh, Park's 30-hour famine is also going to be starting this coming weekend or next coming weekend. Uh, so please uh, pray for them. And can you believe it? Uh, Easter is already going to be coming. And this year, Easter is actually going to be in March instead of uh, April. So we're going to be having Good Friday service, uh, March 25th at 7 p.m. on Friday at University Community Park, which is just uh, down the street. And then followed with uh, Easter luncheon and our usual Easter activities, including egg hunts, uh, on Easter Sunday, March 27th, uh, after service. Um, please also take a look at the prayer requests uh, at the bottom of the um, bulletin. Oh, I'm sorry, I also forgot. Uh, Easter egg hunt, uh, the pink flyer is also in your bulletin. All right. Um, can you take a look now at the sermon uh, passage for this morning, if you can take out the sermon outline. And Pastor Curtis's sermon this morning is going to be uh, from Mark 13. So let me take, or let me give the time over to him now. All this information about the senior Bible study is because I attend. And, um, and I love going. Because, like, you know, I just turned 60 this year, so I'm a senior. Um, and they're on, like, in their late 70s and 80s, and um, most of any of them. And they say, wow, you're so young. And um, so I, I need to go there for that reminder that I'm really young, right? Um, but, you know, as, as I'm not that young, and I've seen our world for many, many decades, and it's changed a lot. It's, it's not like it used to be. And it's getting worse, isn't it? We live in difficult, difficult times. Um, but God has a future for us. And God has the future in his hands. And that's the title of today's message. And so our young people here, I mean, you have a whole life. If the Lord Jesus doesn't come back during your lifetime, you still have maybe 60 more years to live or longer. And you can use those years to serve God. You can use the years that I've already lived to give to God the very best that you have. But it's going to be hard, right? The world's not getting better, but we can get better. And even as the world gets harder, we can get stronger. We are able to live confidently in this world because we know God's in charge, even though there may be great disasters in the world, even though there may be great trials that you and I face. And so as we look at the scriptures today, these are the ones that we are going to focus in on in Mark 13. Now, Mark 13 is a long passage, so I'm only going to be teaching from a portion of it. Um, but we're going to refer to some of it throughout the whole sermon today. But if you open up your outlines, we're going to begin at verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 4. So we have Mark 13, verses 1 through 4. There's some Bibles now on the outside aisles. So the person sitting on the outside can pass the Bibles to the inside. And if you don't have a Bible, you can keep one. And there's also some pens there you can pass on down to those who need them. But I'm going to read. It's Mark 13, 1 through 4. As he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones... What magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? This is the last week of Jesus's life and he has gone into the city of Jerusalem he's gone into where the temple is and they're now walking close to the temple and you have a picture up here of the temple within Jerusalem oh the go back one please and so this is the picture of the uh, the temple grounds the temple mount where the temple and what it would have looked like you see it's a huge huge building 
And this is what the disciples were seeing. And Jesus was walking in there. Now you can go to the next slide. And they were possibly around there. And some uh, archaeologists, they believe that that temple building was up to 20 stories high. And so it was just humongous building. And so the disciples are walking there, and, and one of them goes, Jesus, look, what massive stones. And archaeologists have found stones that are huge, that were part of the temple. The temple's no longer there, as we're going to find out. But there are remainders of that temple, and they found one that's 42 feet long, 11 feet high, and 14 feet deep, weighs over a million pounds. And so they had built this humongous, humongous temple. And the disciples go, Jesus, look at that. Isn't that amazing? And, and Jesus goes, you know what? It's not going to last. It's not going to last. And so Jesus takes his disciples. They go out of the city of Jerusalem. And they go up to a place called the Mount of Olives. which wasn't far away. And so our next slide shows a picture. The Mount of, uh, the Mount of Olives is about three-quarters of a mile from the temple. And so they had left the temple mount area, and they walked over to the Mount of, Olive, mount of Olives, and a mountain in Jerusalem is really what we would call a hill. Okay? Yeah. So they went up to the hill of Jerusalem, uh, where the Mount of, the mount of Olives was, and they had a story time. All right? And Jesus was looking back over these massive stones, this massive building. It might have looked about like that, except, of course, in their day, and that's what it looks like today. And Jesus was telling them, you know what, you see all that, it's going to all be destroyed. And that's really important for us to understand and to imagine what was happening in that day, because Jesus has a lesson there for us to learn too, and I need to learn these lessons. Um, I'm going to have the privilege and the blessing in about two months of going to Jerusalem. And so this will actually be my first trip to Israel, um, I'm going to be beginning a sabbatical on uh, the second day of May. I'll be here. I think the first day of May is a Sunday, and I'll be here preaching. Uh, but then we'll begin a sabbatical, and on May 10th, 10 days later, Carol and I are going to go to Israel. We just decided this week to do that. And, um, and so we're looking on the Internet and trying to find some deals, and Carol found this place where they actually give pastors a discount to go. Um, so we get a 20% discount, uh, but there's a price for that discount. Okay, and the price is that I have to do a devotion for the group, which is cool. I can do that. Okay, but the other thing is I have to be an advertisement. Um, and so, uh, the other th so, so you are all invited to come. Truly, truly, all right? Uh, so if you would like to go to Israel with us, you won't get the discount, okay? But you'll get me and uh, Carol, and we'll be going May 10th through 19th. Okay, so if you really would like to go or get some information about that, Talk to me or Carol. Now I just earned my 20% discount. <laughs> All right. But now, now we go into this story, and we see the disciples, and they're looking at this, and, and Jesus says, I don't want you to be so focused on outward things. You know, I know that temple is very impressive, but it's going to all fall down. It's going to all be destroyed. Now, this temple was called Herod's temple, or the second temple, okay? Ezra, Zerubbabel, they had built the first temple about 500 years earlier. And in 20 BC, Herod the Great, who was the king of that area in that time, decided he wanted to rebuild the temple to appease the Jews. And so he began rebuilding it. This was 20 BC. It wasn't finished until about 64 BC. Now, Jesus is talking, and it's about 30 AD. So in just 40 years, about time, that whole temple was going to be absolutely destroyed by the Romans. And the whole complex was just broken down into rubble. And so it literally came true, what Jesus said there in the first four verses, that these were the things that were happening. These were the signs of the end of that, that era for them. This was the end of the temple that had been so important to the Jews at that time. And so Jesus has a lesson for the disciples, but these lessons are also for us. And so if we go on, we're going to look down now at verse 26. Okay? Verse 26 to 31. I'm going to read that for us. And it says this. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds 
with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. What's so important for us to understand here, and this first point for us of application is to live the way God wants us to live in a world that we have like now, we must pay full attention, pay full attention to things that will never pass away. Pay full attention to things that will never pass away. Now, I skipped from verse 4 all the way down to verse 26. And if you look at the back of your outline, you'll see that I put together a little devotion so you can go over the verses that are missing in between. But if you read them, you will see from verse 5 to verse 25 that Jesus is saying that there was going to be a destruction of the temple. This would happen literally in 70 AD. But then Jesus begins to sort of mix and interweave teachings of what was going to happen in that day with things that were going to continue to happen throughout history until our day, until the day of his second coming. And so the teachings here in Mark chapter 13 are helping us to see not only what the world was like when Jesus left the world and left his disciples there where they went through all kinds of trials, but also the trials of what will happen throughout the world until our day and then in our day until the Lord Jesus returns. So if you were to look there at verses 5 through 8, you would see that there's going to be wars and earthquakes and famines. And those are certainly increasing in our world today. If you look at verses 9 through 13, you'll see that there's going to be great persecution on Christians. And that's happening. It may not be happening here literally with Christians being thrown in jail and tortured in the United States. But we live in a post-Christian world. And, and the United States used to be built upon Christian principles. And I think as you look into our world and you look into the politics of our world, and especially in this election year, you can see the things that are talking are not things that necessarily please God. And so we're living in a post-Christian world today, and our beliefs are being persecuted, and our rights are being, in some ways, taken away from us. So we live in a difficult time. But in other parts of the world, it's even worse, where being a Christian may mean that you'll be beheaded, you'll be persecuted, and you will die. And Jesus says those things are going to increase until his return. And then in verses 14 through 23, Jesus talks about the great tribulation and the things that are going to happen in our world today that's going to bring about just tremendous pain throughout the whole world. And then if that's not bad enough, what happens because of sin in our universe? There's even going to be a cosmic destruction of the stars and the moon and the sun, and God's going to be taking them away. But the good news is, that he's doing all of this to create a whole new world, a whole new earth and a new heaven. And then it says that he's going to come in verse 26, and Jesus is the Son of Man, and he's going to come in great power and glory. And this is great news for us. And then in verse 27, he says he's going to send out his angels throughout all of the world to gather all of the believers together. He's going to gather them all together from the four winds. And he's going to bring us together so that we can be with him forever. And he wants us to understand these things. But he wants us to know that in the midst of all that's going to happen, in the midst of all the pain that we may experience throughout the time, until the time of his return, that there's still hope for us even now on earth. And we find that hope in his presence through the living word of God. So we see that in verse 31, right? Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Bible offers us hope for today. God gives us and brings down heaven to earth today as we read his word. Only God's word provides stability for our lives. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 8, the Bible says, The grass withers and the flowers fade. 
but the word of our God stands forever, forever. In Isaiah chapter 51, verse 6, the Bible says, Look up to the skies above and gaze down on the earth below, for the skies will disappear like smoke and the earth will wear out like a piece of clothing. The people of the earth will die like flies, but my salvation lasts forever. My righteous rule will never end. That's what we all long for. We long for a place where there's no sin. We long for a place of salvation where we know we are accepted just the way we are, that God forgives us for our sins. We long for a place where we can wear clothes that won't wear out. We long for a place where there will not be a, a power over us that brings about destruction, but a power over us that brings life. But we must understand that that's not yet. And that's when Jesus returns. And so we need to long for that day. We need to pray for that day. That God would help us to be ready and to help bring other people to understand the love of God, that they might be ready as well. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, the Bible talks about this day. So Jesus talked about when the Son of Man is coming in verse 26. And now Peter is referring to it in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, where it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. It says everything will be destroyed in this way. What kind of people ought you to be? And that's a very important question for us to answer. What kind of people ought we to be? When we look in a world like this and we know that it's headed for destruction and we see things are so difficult, but there's still hope because there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. But how should we live in this earth now? Well, Peter tells us as he goes on, you ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. God wants us to look forward to this. You know, we always say when somebody dies that they've passed away. And Jesus is telling us here that everything is going to pass away. Everything that we see is going to pass away. But we are to be looking forward to a new heaven. And we are to be looking forward to a new earth. But we don't just sort of sit around and wait for that. We prepare for it. We prepare for it by, by living holy. That means to live the right life that God wants us to live. To live a godly life means to obey the scriptures. To look forward to God's coming means to love Jesus and know him more and more and to know his presence with us. God with us, the power of Christmas. But Jesus resurrected, alive now to live within us, the power of Easter. So God wants us to trust him. Even for Jesus, God had, Jesus had to trust God. And we have to trust God. We go on to verse 32. And it says there, and Jesus says, answering the question of when is it going to happen, Jesus says, well, no one knows. No one knows the exact hour. No one knows about that day or hour. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. And so the disciples wanted to know, Jesus, so when are you going to come back? When is this new kingdom going to begin? And Jesus says, only God the Father knows. And so in his humanity, Jesus trusted his heavenly Father as an example for you and me to trust God. There's so many things we don't know, right? Whatever problems we have, we don't know the outcome of them. We all have problems. I know some of you may look around at people around here and you go, man, they've got it made, right? But I, I want to tell you that I know, not because they've told me, I just know it's a fact of life. Everybody has problems. And no matter who you look at here, you, they may look really good, all right? You know, but inside, there may be a lot of turmoil, right? And, and, and it doesn't mean that these people are bad people. It is just the reality of all people, good people and bad people alike. We, we all have problems. You know, so it's all right to, to look good, 
But it's so important for us to be humble and let other people know that, you know what, I have problems. I have problems. And I need to trust God because I don't know the outcome of what those problems will be. And I want other people to be able to know that I too am holding on to God in the midst of my problems, in the midst of my pain. And so what Jesus wants all of us to do is to put everything unquestionably into the hands of God. Put everything unquestionably into the hands of God. That's what Jesus did. And Jesus is saying, I want you to know my disciples. I want you to know my followers, that I am coming back. But you need to be ready. And when you don't know, this actually can be a good thing. You know, what do you think would happen if Jesus said, I'm going to come back in 2016? I'm going to come back in 2016. Well, it's 2016 now, right? We would probably start living a little bit better. Right? What if I said that Jesus is coming back on March 6, all right, 2016, at 11 p.m.? Right? 11 a.m. That's six minutes from now. Right? Right? We'd be going, oh my gosh! Right? You know, Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. You know, I did this, 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 and this. Oh God, please, you know, forgive me of this. You know, we would say, ah! Right? You know, just think how we live. And you're like, just think, like, you know, if you know your parents are going to come to your room and clean up your room, right, you know, at noon today, you say, Mom, Dad, I got to get home really fast. Right? You clean up your room, right? But if you don't know, and they say, you know, I'm going to come to your room. It better be clean. And if it's not clean, you're going to be grounded for a week. Well, you keep it clean, right? Because you don't know when they're going to show up. If a professor says, you've got to be ready, okay, for a pop quiz at any time, in the class, it'll only be on the material that I've already taught you and the book that you're supposed to have read, then you'll be ready for them. But I'm not going to tell you when they're going to happen. Well, then you'll study, right? You'll study. If you know some friends are going to come over to your house, they say, you know, I'm going to come over tomorrow at 3 p.m. and we're going to have coffee together. You go, oh, that'd be great. Well, you clean your house because you know they're going to come over. But if you have some friends that say, you know, we like to sort of pop over any old time we want, you know, you go, well, you're my best friends. You can come over anytime you want. Well, you keep your house clean because you don't know when they're going to come over. So they're actually a blessing to us by not knowing when Jesus is going to return because it means we always have to be ready. We always have to be prepared. You know, there are people that say they know the date when Jesus is going to return. We've seen that happen even in the last three years. You know, so there's this group a few years ago, and they said, oh, Jesus is going to return on this, this, and this date. They put, spent all kinds of money, put big banners up on, the, you know, up on the posters and on buses and everything, and they walked around and said, Jesus is going to return on this date. It didn't happen. They go, oh, well, you know, oh, uh, goof, you know, missed the comma, you know. Uh, we got to change it. You know, he's going to come back on another date. Well, that day came and went as well. Nobody knows. That's been happening since Jesus left the first time. People have been trying to figure out the exact date of his return. Uh, it's like, can't you read this simple verse when Jesus says? Like, yeah, it's like, come on, you know. It's like, it's, how hard is this? You know, what the, you know, what about no, don't you understand? You know, it's like, no one knows. Not even Jesus. Now, if Jesus doesn't know, you think somebody else is going to know? Jesus is saying, I'm trusting unquestionably my whole existence to my Heavenly Father. And if Jesus did that, we can do that too. Whatever you're going through, whatever you don't know about, put it in the hands of God. And number three, I'm going to look on verses 33 to 37. And the verse that says there, be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come, whether in the evening or midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I want you to be vigilant. I want you to be ready for my return. I want you to watch for my return. I want you to be prepared for my return. Right? So even though we have uncertainty, 
It is our uncertainty of when that should lead us to the ceaseless vigilance now. And so we can see three things and really four that God wants us to do to be vigilant now. And the first one is right there at verse 33 is to be on guard. Be on guard. Now this word on guard means to beware. To beware. And it means to be looking at things so that you are ready. In verse 9, if you go back to verse 9, we didn't read that one earlier. Um, but Jesus also uses the same words about being on guard. And he says, you must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And so there is a context of why and how we must be on guard. And the context is this, is that Jesus expects us. We can say Jesus commands us to tell other people about him. Jesus expects us to help other people to be ready for his return. Jesus wants us to be vigilant so that we know that he's coming back, but we don't want to be selfish. We want other people to come back and to be with him. Now, we can't make people accept Jesus. We can't make people turn to him, but we can share Jesus' love with them and invite them. I mean, who doesn't want to go to heaven? Remember when I first became a Christian, I was so excited about sharing my faith with people. And I would share my faith with different people, and, and it was always exciting like, when they said yes. But when somebody said no, I'd always like, like well, don't you want to go to heaven? Like, I couldn't understand. Don't you want to be forgiven? And, and there's different reasons why people don't want to trust Jesus. But the most simple reason to trust Jesus is this. He loves you, and he forgives you, and he wants you to be with him forever. And this world is not forever. And that's what he's trying to get his point across to these disciples. And this world not only is not forever, this world ain't so great. And, and there's so many problems. So you need to be on a mission. And that mission is to share Jesus' love with others. Now, it's not going to be easy, so you must be on your guard. Because when you do this, you're going to be handed over to the local councils. Now, this literally happened to these disciples. This may not specifically happen to you and me, but we will face persecution. And they were, had to stand before the synagogues. They had to stand before the politi political people of their day and governors and kings. And then they were punished. But, as it says in verse 10, keep doing it, my disciples. Because the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Jesus wants every nation in the world to hear the love of Jesus before he returns. And so he wants us to not only be on guard, but the second thing is he wants us to be bold to bear this good news. And these two really belong together. He wants us to be bold, but we have to be on guard. He wants us to be on guard, and we need to be bold. I know it's hard. It's hard to share the gospel. It's scary, but it's possible. You can tell people that there's good news. You can tell people that there's a hope. They don't have to accept it if they don't want to. It's not up to you for them to accept it. That's God's job. Our job is to be the mouth. Jesus' job is to do the conviction. So God wants us to continue to be vigilant in seeking to share the gospel and to be on guard and to be bold and to proclaim and to do all that we can to let our friends who don't know Jesus know about Jesus. To let our relatives who don't know about Jesus to know Jesus. This is the greatest gift that you and I can give to anybody else. Is it easy? No. But is it good? Yes. Will God help you? Yes. But we must be on guard. It won't be easy. But it's so important because it's how we are vigilant and it's how we are ready. And the more we share the gospel, the more we ourselves are ready for Jesus' return. And that's a great thing. Well, the third thing that Jesus tells us is the, the, the fourth and the fifth word of verse 33 is be alert. Be alert. The world needs more alert. So be alert. All right? And the word alert means to keep awake. Now, don't be sleepless. 
God wants us to stay awake and to, to be sure that other people see that we are living the way he wants us to live. We have to live the right way because other people are watching us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, the Bible says, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. And so God wants us to be self-controlled. God wants us to know that we have problems in this world and we have an enemy against our faith, but to fight against that enemy because the God of all grace will help us and he's going to bring us into eternal glory that we're going to have with Jesus. It'll be after we suffer, but he will restore us and he will make us strong and he will make us firm and he will make us steadfast. And so God wants us to be alert to the possibilities of his grace in our life. He wants us to be alert to the possibilities of his power to overcome evil. And he wants us to be alert to the reality that this world has no hope, but the next world is all hope. And so we live for this next world. We live to give him glory. We live so that other people can know about him. And so then a third thing, a fourth thing that God would have us to do, and we see it three times in these verses. We see it at the end of verse 34, where Jesus says, keep watch. We see it at the beginning of verse 35, where Jesus says, keep watch. And we see it at the very end in verse 37, where he says, I say to everyone, watch. And so God wants us to be watching. He wants us to be vigilant. This word means to, to stand and to take up. God wants us to stand and in verse 13 of Mark 13, we read these verses, All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. He who stands firm to the end will be saved. In theological terms, this is called the perseverance of the saints. It means that true Christians will continue to persevere through all problems, we will continue to stand firm to the end of our salvation. We will continue to be standing firm to the end of our lives for Jesus. This is the greatest challenge of our lives. But God would have us to have this kind of perseverance. God would have us to have this kind of strength that nothing would take our faith away that no problem would cause us to turn away from God, that no doubt would keep us from believing even the mustard seed of faith of believing. We would never leave our faith. We will always follow Jesus. What happens if we face tragedy? What happens if we face difficult difficult problems that we would never have imagined to happen to anybody and then they happen to us. Let's go back to Fanny Crosby. She actually was born with sight. Um, she was born a healthy baby. But when she was six weeks old, she had an eye infection. And the normal doctor in the city that they lived in was gone. And so there was this other doctor that was there, but he really wasn't a good doctor at all. And he, he made a terrible mistake. And so uh, Fanny Crosby had had an infection in her eye, and the doctor put in this type of ointment in her eye that actually caused her to be blind at the age of six weeks. Now, do you think you might be bitter that happened? You think so? Fanny Crosby chose not to be. She chose to be a person of faith. Her mom read to her the Bible as she was a little girl. And she grew up believing in Jesus. She grew up trusting that God still had a plan for her life. And, and she even got married. And she got married and she had a child. And then that baby died. 
And then after her baby died, something happened to her husband and to her marriage. And they had a terrible marriage after that. A very difficult marriage. Just think of all those things and others that happened to her. And yet she wrote over 8,000 hymns, 8,000 poems, and much of them just filled with joy. You can Google her and just read some of her hymns, and you'll see they're just filled with joy and hope and peace. Even though she went through so much tragedy, she persevered, she watched, she guarded, she was bold. She was a preacher of her day. People would come from all around to hear her. And she wrote all these wonderful hymns. Well, one of the hymns she wrote was called Never Give Up. Never Give Up. It's not as popular of a hymn, but I think these words are so appropriate to perseverance for us. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up to thy sorrows. Jesus will bid them depart. Trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Sing when your trials are greatest. Trust in the Lord and take heart. No matter what we go through, God would have us to persevere. Is it easy? No. But is it possible? Yes. By the power and the grace of God working in us. And when we place our future in God's hands, it means we place our today in God's hands. Everything we're going through right now, we can trust God for. Will you do that? Will I do that? Yes, let's do that together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that tells us to do things that otherwise would be impossible on our own but things which are possible because of you and of who you are. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who trust you. We're so human. Lord, forgive us of our pride. Forgive me of my pride. I, I feel it. I see it all the time. Lord, forgive us of our selfishness, of our greed, the way we treat other people, the way we treat you, forgive us. But Lord, also help us to know that not only do you forgive us, but you love us and you accept us just the way we are. And you want to build into us strength and courage. And you want us to be ready for your return. And so by doing that, Lord, that means that we'll put everything in your hands. And so, Lord, right now, we just can imagine the things that are going on in our life, the trials, even the blessings. And Lord, we want to put those in your hands right now because you are able to take care of them. You are able to take care of us because you love us so much and you showed us that love in Jesus. So Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise and we give you honor in Jesus' name. Amen.
darkness. all stand together. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found. Just in his righteousness alone, all is Christ alone. Sí.